worry about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive after all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Do not worry about your life. It's a command from our Lord. Do not worry. And yet how many of us, like me, worry incessantly? James Bryan Smith writes that worry has always been a prevalent human problem. But I wonder sometimes if our culture is the worst when it comes to worry. We worry about our health, our kids, our aging parents, or friends, or siblings. We worry about losing a job or losing a loved one. The news is filled with terrible stories of fires and murders and burglaries and kidnappings. We are exposed to so many fearful things, it feels impossible not to worry. I have heard a lot of people and especially people in older generations speaking back over their span of years, talking about how their worry sometimes seems to be increasing because it seems like the world is getting to be a worse and worse place. But I think the key issue is not that things are getting worse, but simply that we are exposed to more evil and brokenness than ever before, and it's hard for us to handle. Take, for example, this statistic. Between the years of 1990 and 1998, in our country, the murder rates dropped by 20%. A great celebration, hey? But on the news networks, murder stories increased by 600%. (laughs) The reality was a dip in 20%. To us, it perceived to be 600 increased percent. So the media, this world that we live in, it it plays on our fears to boost ratings and sales. It's called the fear for profit syndrome, and we need to be aware of it. If it bleeds, it leads, is what newscasters say. Fear is used to motivate and manipulate us, not just by the media, but by advertisers and politicians, by lots of people, including ourselves sometimes, if we're honest. And because so many of us live our lives in front of screens, behind speakers, TVs, computers, radio, smartphones, we are daily bombarded with things to fear and worry about. You've all seen this, right? That freckle on your arm could be a time bomb. Check it out at 10. 
What do we do? We turn, tune in at 10 and are racked with worry from 8 to 10 of, oh my gosh, I'm going to die because of this freckle on my arm, right? Sadly, the ones being most affected, we are being told by sociologists, are our young people, our young adults, our teens, our children. I saw this all the time in my years working at Hope College. Anxiety for young people was through the roof. I'm not talking like a little bit nervous. I'm talking like life-threatening anxiety. And it was really heartbreaking. So worry and anxiety, they are a major issue in our world today. If not for you, then certainly for someone you know. And I need, we need to be aware of that. It's choking out the peace and joy that God intends for all of us. And it's a sorrow. And we wonder, is there a cure? Is there a cure for this epidemic of worry that we are all experiencing? The good news is, yes. Yes, Jesus offers us a cure in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry about your life. Consider the birds and the flowers. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now today, I'm not going to go into like um, anxiety disorders and medication. I am a full proponent of those. So if, that, if you're wondering that in your mind, I'm just going to bracket that and, and say I do uh, understand that that is a, that is a real thing. And I, propose, I support doctors in helping you with that. But right now, we're just going to look at Jesus' words because they can undergird and deal with the heart of the issue. They can help our souls to heal from this epidemic of worry. And soon we're going to unpack some practical ways of doing this. And I'm going to give you a hint that the key is prayer. The key is prayer. But before we go into those practical steps, I want to take a deeper dive into why we worry. We just hit the surface of what's going on culturally. Now I want to dive a little deeper into what's going on in our hearts that's causing us to worry. Because the truth is, we're not going to change what's going on all around us in our culture. And we can't just change our outward behavior as much as we try. That's just not going to work. What Jesus has been trying to drive home again and again on the Sermon on the Mount is first and foremost, we have to look at the heart. The heart is the seedbed of worry. Worry is a heart issue. So we have to look at the heart. So what is it in our hearts that makes all these outward things make us so worried? I believe the answer is control. Worry stems from our human desire, very natural human inclination, to want control. I've been there. I am often there. I am regularly praying for God to help me there. So at the core, we want control of situations that are out of our control. More specifically, we want to prevent pain 
for ourselves, for others, and we are tempted to think that only if we worry enough, we can prevent bad things from happening. Now here, it's important to distinguish between caution and worry. Jesus tells us not to worry, but he doesn't tell us not to be cautious, not to act responsibly, acting responsibly as part of loving others, loving ourselves. That means we act with caution in all parts of life. We drive carefully. We put our kids in car seats. We lock our doors. We manage our money wisely. This is responsibility. It is caution. It is different from worry. Worry is what happens after we have planned, after we have prepared, after we have acted responsibly, and then we continue to stew and to fret about the things that we cannot control. So let me give you an example from my own life. I've told you I'm good at worrying, right? So soon after our third child was born, Josiah, in March, I started having like high-level concern, bordering anxiety about our girls playing in our backyard. Now, if you've ever been to our house, you know that we have a fairly small backyard that backs up right into a road where people often drive too fast, in my opinion. And then across from that road is a huge pond. And now we have this beautiful two-year-old, Bella, and if you've seen her up here or experienced her out in the gathering area, you know that she is a bit of a free spirit. <laughs> she, she, she has her own mind about what she wants to do, which includes often disobeying what we tell her to do. So after our third child was born, I started having these images of Bella running into the street, running into the pond while I'm trying to take care of baby. And it literally kept me up at night. I was racked with worry, racked with fear. I was very anxious about this. <laughs> but in this situation, there was something I could do. I could get a fence built. Rather, I could pester my husband about getting a fence built, which meant he could pester our HOA about getting the fence built that we proposed eight months ago. So after a lot of pestering, long story short, we got our fence built. And now our kids can play safely in our backyard. And a lot of my fear and worry went away. So in this situation, the concern I was feeling, the anxiety that was rising up, was a prompt for me to act, to take a step of responsible caution. But now, now that I have done what I can to address that issue, and of course I still watch my children, I don't just leave them by themselves all day. Now, now that I've done what I can, if I still continue to stay up every night thinking about all the situations of all the different things that could happen to my kids that I am completely out of control of, that is worry. That kind of worry doesn't lead to any positive actions. In fact, it is actually harmful because I'm wasting all of this sleep and emotional energy fretting about something that I can't do anything about. And it turns me into a hazard rather than a help. Hazard rather than a help. That's what worry does to us. Do you hear the difference? Concern and caution, they are acceptable and even necessary. Worry is what happens when we go beyond these and fear what we cannot control. 
Worry is when we fear what we cannot control. So one writer says that at the root of worry are narcissism and superstition. Narcissism, thinking too much of ourselves, and superstition. That is, worry places us in the seat of God, rather than letting God be God. So let us now return to our text to see exactly what Jesus has to say to us about worry, because it's good news. So Jesus says specifically, do not worry about your food and about your clothing. These are two natural human concerns. Jesus is getting at primary human life needs. Now, unfortunately, many people read this teaching as if Jesus were saying, just have faith and God will drop food into your mouth and expensive clothes into your closet. That's not true. That's not what Jesus is saying. The reality is, on a global scale, many, many faithful men, women, and children starve each day. Jesus is not saying that people who are poor and hungry who were most of the people who were listening to his original sermon, by the way. He's not saying that they just lacked faith and that all they needed to do was to trust God more. Telling impoverished people that they just need to have more faith would be cruel and utterly wrong. Jesus is not saying if you are impoverished, you are not faithful. Neither, on the flip side, is just saying if you have plenty of food and plenty of clothes, you are faithful. Neither is Jesus saying, as I've heard some people critique, that you don't need to work for your sustenance. Jesus says, consider the birds of the field. Have you ever watched birds? They are really hard-working creatures. They are up early, stay up late. They are very industrious creatures. But they do so without worry. Jesus' point in this teaching is this. You are worth far more than a bird. That's his point. You are worth far more than a bird. You see, in Jesus' day, uh, several birds could be purchased for just a handful of change. They were seen as these really small, insignificant creatures. And Jesus is saying, if God cares for these small, insignificant creatures, how much more is God going to care for you, his child? The same is true with the lilies of the field. In fall, now we're experiencing how uh, fleeting are the lives of the flowers, right? They're here today, and then, whoop, <laughs> they're gone tomorrow. And Jesus is saying, if God works to make such small, fleeting flowers so beautiful, how much more will God take care of you? You, a human being made in God's very own image, God takes care of these little flowers. God will take care of you. So don't worry. God provides for the birds. God provides for the flowers. God will provide for you. Worry is what happens when we stop trusting that God really can provide for the world and provide for us. Worry is what happens when we put ourselves on the throne, when we focus on our own limited resources. 
But when we get our eyes fixed on God and see that God really is on the throne and that God has abundant resources beyond what we could ever comprehend, then we are filled with peace. Then we are entering into the freedom of the kingdom of God. So we are going to move on to look at how we do this practically, because I know it's very hard for many of us. But first, there's one more heart issue I want to address, one more, one more um, caveat in this, this passage. So that is, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear. Jesus does not say, do not be concerned about others' lives. This has been pointed out by many scholars that it's an important point for us, especially in Western Christianity, to remember. That is, this is not a call to ignore the poor, those who are without food or without clothing. Rather, Jesus' whole ministry teaches us that we are called to care for these. At the end of his ministry, Jesus specifically tells his disciples that at judgment day, human beings will be told, I was hungry, and you gave me, or did not give me, something to eat. New Testament scholar Dale Bruner writes, the text does not say, do not be concerned about others' lives, about if they have enough to eat or wear, because concern for others' well-being is the very righteousness that Jesus commands at the end of his teaching. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What Jesus is telling us in this passage is to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our lives, off of our own selfish anxiety about things for ourselves. This New Testament scholar, Dale Bruner, was formerly a missionary in the Philippines, and he has a lot of experience then to, to say this. And he writes, the West is a consumption-centered world, too much concerned with food. It is a superficial world, too occupied with clothing. Only when liberated from anxiety about our obsession with food and clothes, a liberation devoutly to be desired in Western Christendom, only then will we give deserved attention to the food and clothing of the poor world. Thus, Jesus' teaching is not antisocial, it is anti-selfish. It is not antisocial, it is anti-selfish. It does not tell us to be unconcerned about others' food, but rather not to be anxious about our own. This is what life looks like when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We trust that God generously provides and cares for us out of his abundant resources. And in that trust and in that confidence, we are then free to give of ourselves to others in need, free to give of our treasures, of our time, of our talents that God has abundantly poured into our own lives. That's what life looks like in the kingdom of God. It's a life of freedom, a life of joy. That's life without worry. 
So now that we've looked a little bit at the heart of worry, about the context of what tends to make us worried in the world around us too, let's get really practical. How do we do this? How do we obey Jesus' teachings besides just telling us ourselves, do not worry, do not worry? How do we stop being so worried about our own lives? Not only so that we experience more joy and peace, which we want, but also so that we might be freed up to join in God's work of caring for those who are in need, body and soul. Which, by the way, is part of God's pathway to joy and peace. I'm going to give you three steps, three practical steps. Uh, Three is an easy number to remember, so you can jot these down or just put them in your brain. So first, first step, pray. Pray, pray, pray. First and primarily, we pray. The Apostle Paul says this, as Pastor Brandon said before, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray, give thanks, receive peace, repeat. This is the equation for combating worry. Pray, give thanks, receive peace, repeat. Praying reminds us that it is God who is on the throne, not us. Giving thanks reminds us that all that we have is from God. And God has done and continues to do a lot for us. It reminds us how incredibly generous God is, how incredibly abundant are God's provisions. Gratitude's important. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Note what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, if you pray, God will take away all of your problems. Jesus never says that either. In fact, the Bible's message is clear. In this world, we will have troubles. But take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be temptations to worry. But take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. The reason we can be people who don't worry is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, no matter what happens in this life, is never in trouble. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God, no matter what happens to you, to me, around us, it is never in trouble. Nothing, not even death, can threaten the kingdom of God, and we are citizens of that kingdom, so we are safe. We are secure, no matter what happens. Keep that in mind. We'll return to it on our last point. But first, our first and primary step to combat worry is to pray. So here's a very uh, practical second step I will offer, and that is get outside. I'm, I'm serious. Get outside. Consider the birds and the flowers, literally. If you're anything like me, it can be really easy to get sucked into my own little world, my own limited resources, and life can feel overwhelming. But then I step outside and look at the stars. 
or look at the birds or the flowers, and I see the beauty and the grandeur of the world, and I'm quickly reminded of my small place. And just how big God is, how good God is, how powerful God is to keep this all running. God is indeed caring for the birds and the squirrels and the trees and the flowers and the stars and the solar system without any help from me. And he's doing a pretty good job at it, I would say. And that's really good and comforting news. If God can care for all the world so well, God certainly can and will care for you and for me. So get outside. Look around. Open your eyes to the bigness of God. God made it all. God is taking care of it all. God can take care of you. Trust him. I think this is especially relevant today when so many of us spend so much time in front of our screens. Did you know that studies reveal that the more time spent in front of a screen, TV, computer, smartphone, the higher the rates of depression and anxiety? So we need to take Jesus' teachings here seriously. (laughs) We need to get outside to be reminded of a bigger world, a bigger God than ourselves. So those are our first two steps. Pray, get outside. Best yet, pray when you're outside. It's my favorite. So third and finally, we'll close with this. Seek first the kingdom of God, one day at a time. Seek first the kingdom of God, one day at a time. So what does this mean? It means making the reality and the principles of God's kingdom that we have been unpacking in the Sermon on the Mount, making those realities and principles our first and primary concern. Part of focusing first on God's kingdom means facing our trials and troubles, not with anxiety, but with trust that God is on the throne and God can and will work through them. It's crucial that we remember As I said earlier, God's kingdom is never in trouble. It is an eternal kingdom that we will experience in fullness one day when all the troubles, all the reasons to worry will be gone. We will experience that fullness one day. And until then, God's kingdom is present even here in part within us. Christ's spirit dwelling within us can help us to experience the kingdom today. God's kingdom is not in trouble. You are safe and secure for eternity. You are children of the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul writes, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is why we can live in peace. That is why we can live without worry. That is why we can live joyously and generously. 
because we are children of God. One, you are one in whom Christ dwells, and we live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your life, death, and resurrection that has, have secured for us our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Help us to find our identities rooted solely in you, in your love for us, in your care for us, that come what may, our souls would be well, that we would know deep within our bones that you are good and you will care for us now and for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.